You know, there's just some things in our lives that as we get older, we hear or experience. Maybe it's a smell or a song, uh, a color, a sight, a name. And uh, that song, I'm always transported back to First Baptist Church, Clarkdale, Georgia, uh, that sat across the street uh, from the main entrance to uh, the old cotton mill. And that's where my grandparents, my mother's parents, attended church. And uh, a lot of times I would spend Sunday afternoon with my grandparents and I would go to church with them. And they always, always, always sang that song when they did baptism. Well, apparently they were still evangelizing back in those days because I didn't go that frequently. Mom and dad were pretty sticklers on us going to church together there, but they would let me go with uh, my dad's parents sometimes and go with my mother's parents sometimes because we were going to church. Uh, but it seems like every time I went to Clarkdale, they were baptizing, and they always sang. And those words still just, they, it, it, it grabs me and it convicts me. Oh, who will come and go with me. And in that moment when I sing that, I see my pastor's hand reaching up to take mine as a young boy as I step down into what they called the watery grave, into the baptistry. As I had professed Jesus as my Lord and Savior and following up in believer's baptism, being convinced and convicted by my sin not that that water would remove my sin, but that Jesus already had. We've got to get that straight. We're not called Baptist because we believe baptism conveys grace. Quite the contrary. We believe as Baptists that we are what they called Anabaptists, rebaptizers, because we believe that baptism will not save any child. It will not save any adult. It is only through the blood of Jesus Christ. Much as the thief hanging on the cross was promised through his faith and by the grace of God that he would see Jesus that day in paradise. They didn't call a time out, pull up a wash tub and baptize him. Jesus didn't reach over and sprinkle him. He went straight to glory because he put all his faith, hope, and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Fact. It's just a fact. The problem is that so often we conjure up, we say it just can't be that easy. I know we say in life that if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. This is one that that does not apply to. Because of the ground being level at the foot of the cross and God knowing all of our ignorance, he provided the means, the propulsion, the propitiation, the Savior, the Son, the priest. He provided it all. And it is by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now all of that is just post-singing, to add a punctuation on what we've heard this morning, 
I want you to turn with me to Psalm 5. Psalm 5. 150 Psalms. This is a hymn book. Did you know that? It's a hymn book. And David didn't write all of them, but he wrote the majority of them. And if you read five, and we're not going to read three and four, but I want to challenge you to do so, maybe even today, that this is kind of a trilogy. You know, we sing uh, medleys in the choir, or, you know, there are some songs that kind of branches into others. And we need to understand that three, four, and five were all written probably within two to three days of each other, and they build upon each other. Much like Psalm 22, 23, and 24, where we see the good shepherd, the great shepherd, and the chief shepherd. You see that through, it's not just Psalm 23, it talks about the shepherd. It's 22, 23, and 24. But today, on this small 12-verse psalm, I want us to camp out on that word. But not really on the word, because that word is so misused and misunderstood. Joy. Joy. We sing about it. Joy, 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 down in my heart. And I like the last part of that. Down in my heart to what? Stay. But yet, so many times in our lives, we walk around defeated, despondent. And I'm going to tell you something. There's never been a time in ministry in my life where I see so many people, including myself, struggling with the events of the day. Friday night. You know, I don't know if you understand this. We, we're being challenged at every hand to shake off the things that have so easily beset us. There are no new TV shows coming out. They, they can't film. Hey, don't look at that as a negative. Look at it as a positive. Find something to fill that gap. But on Friday night, it's not like you can just go and do anything you want to anywhere like usual. And so I'm camped out in my chair Friday night, probably eating stuff I shouldn't be eating after 8 o'clock. It's 10 o'clock. I'm watching one of my favorite shows, Blue Bloods. I'm watching it, and it's getting toward the end. I've already seen it. It's a rerun, but I enjoy watching the show. And it gets toward the end, and it's probably about 10 till 11, and I'm fixing to go into my full routine. I'm going to get done, and uh, I'm going to go to the restroom, take my medicine, do the old thing, the old man thing, you know, take my blood pressure medicine and all that. Make sure the doors are locked up. Make sure they shut the garage door. Make sure the dog's in doing whatever he's supposed, she's supposed to do, even though she don't. And my phone rings. Now, y'all all know I'm not a morning person. But if you know me, and you call me at 11 o'clock, and you really know me, you don't apologize. Oh, I'm sorry it's so late. Because you know I'm up. I'm, I'm not going. I had a youth pastor one time that I called at 8.45 one Tuesday, Wednesday night, and his wife answered the phone like this. Hello? I said, hey, where's so-and-so? 
uh, he's in the bed. I said, bless God, the sun hadn't even gone down good. Get him up. He's supposed to be, no, that won't work. Matter of fact, it didn't work, not for very long. So my phone rings at 10.52 Friday night. But when I saw who was calling, I knew immediately it was not good. It was the police chief. And I said, okay. So before I even mash the button, my spirit engages. God, I don't know what I'm about to hear, but it's not going to be good. And so, Lord, start preparing me. I answered the phone, and I hear multiple fatalities. We need you at the hospital. I said, I'll be there in just a few minutes. So I'm, I've got my lounging shorts on and an old ragged T-shirt. I go in. First time I put on blue jeans since February, I think. I had to find some. And uh, put, it, put a shirt on, put some water on this big hair that's quarantined that hasn't been shaping very much, and I take off. And he said, come around to the ER. I come around to the ER. Helicopter's sitting there, blocked off. Everything's, there's four or five police cars. And I'm trying to pick up what, and so I, I'm outside, and I left my police radio in the car so I couldn't call inside to get them to open the door. And the pilot walks up. We begin to talk, and the more we get to talk, we realize he's not even there for what I'm there for. He's getting someone else. And this is in this quiet, little, small, quaint country town. But once I walked into that door, there was nothing but heartache and sorrow. As a five-year-old laid on a bed with life possibly life-ending injuries. And her sister had already gone to be with the Lord at the scene. Her father dead on the scene. And I want to tell y'all something right here. And I know y'all are for it. I know you're behind it. Let me tell you something. As your pastor... You can call it political. I'm at the point in my life, I don't care. I just don't care. I'm going to tell you the truth. This is what truth looks like when, no, when all the cameras are turned off. Truth is, a volunteer firefighter rushes to the scene and gets there before everyone else does. Truth is, two members of our church who are volunteer firefighters uh, arrive on the scene about the same time. Truth is, one of our members who is a Claxton police officer off duty, now the Rex and Daisy, off duty, gets in his patrol car in his rancher boots, he was dressed about like I was for Blue Bloods, pulls up on the scene. The first firefighter, big guy, he's got this five-year-old in his arms, and he's coming up the hill and the ambulance, there's no telling how long before they get there. Not, I'm not throwing off on them, but time is of the essence. And the police officer said, just get in the car with her. We'll get to the hospital. Well, this is a big firefighter. He wouldn't fit. So he turns around and hands the child to this female firefighter who is a church member. 
And she held the baby, gets in the back of our church member's patrol car and gets the baby to the hospital. And I watched the police chief, I watched the doctor at Evans County uh, Memorial, I watched those officers, I watched those firefighters stand there and weep and hurt with the families that were going through this. Don't you let anyone talk bad about who we have serving our public. Not our police officers, not our hospital workers, and especially not our church members. I, I'm going to tell you something. I, I hate those moments. I hate them with a passion. But that's who I am. That's what God's called me to do. And as it was finishing up and I walked out back, we walked that child to the, hospital, to the ambulance. We prayed with the, with the pilot. We prayed with the flight crew. And man, they were, you could tell, at least one or two were Christians. I walked back in, the doctor squalling, and I walked up, and I talked with her for a while. She's a believer, and, and she's broken through this whole thing. And I, I go with the police chief, and we walk out front, and there's at least 50 to 70 friends and family members standing on the front of the ER at Evans Memorial. And I know we've heard about protests in Claxton. We've heard about all this. But I'm telling you, there was one thing there Friday night, the human race. And a white preacher with a black family and friends, and we called upon the God whom we all are created by together. Now, why are you telling me all this? We walk back out, and I pray with my officers. And then we all get in our vehicles and we go home. And if they're like me, they laid there and they thought about everything that had transpired. Now, God had already placed this, this scripture on my heart. That's a pretty traumatic instance, wouldn't you agree? That doctor's used to that kind of stuff, you'd think. But she was absolutely wrung out. And I prayed with her as a believer, and I told her to thank you for being open and emotional and understanding hurt, that they could see your hurt. David in Psalm 5 is experiencing very, very deep hurt. You see, chapter 5 of the Psalms is later in his life. They're not chronological. You understand that, right? Psalm 5 is when David had become an older king. His son Absalom had now formed a coup and overthrown his father's government and set himself up as king. David felt wounded by a son he deeply loved. He felt wounded by others who had betrayed him. And so we pick up this. How do we experience joy? Philip alluded to it a moment ago. We're not under the circumstances. 
You know, we say, how you doing? I'm all right under the circumstances. When we experience real joy, then we're going to have joy through the circumstances. In the circumstances, not under the circumstances. Y'all with me? Joy. We all need it. I can look on your face. Some of you had really hard weeks. I counted up the other day and was flabbergasted by how long it's really been since May, uh, March 15th. You see, on that Friday, I was leaving to go preach revival. I was going to preach revival Sunday through Wednesday. Then I had a board meeting at Trip McConnell on Thursday and Friday. We, I had all this stuff planned out. We had vacation Bible school planned out. We had Guatemala mission trip planned out. We had all this stuff planned out. And boom, it all come to a screeching halt. I said, oh, we'll be back by Easter. Oh, we'll be back by Mother's Day. Oh, yeah, well, it'll work out. We'll be back by... Well, we did start back May 17th, and God has blessed us. God has protected us. But there's still a long way to go, and there's still a lot of hurt. People are worried about jobs. We're worried about school. We're worried about things that really doesn't matter, like sports. People are hurting. People are in need. We need some joy in our life. Would you agree? Joy... In the original text, literally means to rejoice, to make glad, or to be joined. Now, that last one kind of, what does that look like? Well, joy is not off here doing our own thing by ourselves all the time. Real joy looks like this. It's the idea of being joined with God. Being joined with God in joy is our, our personal joy. That no matter what happens outside, we can be joyful. Who is someone in the Bible that experienced this being joined to God in joy, this, this personal joy, though all the world around them were, was collapsing? Anybody come to mind? I immediately think of Paul and Silas singing in prison. What about Peter? Peter slept. How do you sleep knowing you're going to the gallows the next day? He didn't know. You say, oh, he knew God would deliver him. I'm telling you something. He didn't know that any more than Abraham knew what God was going to do with Isaac and that ram. But what Abraham understood was if Isaac dies, God would raise him back up if he wanted to. That's what the Bible says. Peter said, either I go or I stay. Paul said, I'm between a rock and a hard place. I'd soon just go and be with the Lord, but it's important for me to stay here. Joy despite circumstances. It's personal joy when we're joined with God, but then joined with others in joy. This is relational joy. When we both understand God, we understand who God is in our life, then we can be joyful in the midst of trials and tribulations. You see, joy is multifaceted. It's not just a simple based on whether you win the game or not. It's not just when the, the family is, everything is just right. I have experienced joy at the funeral home. I have. I've experienced joy in hospital rooms. 
Some of the greatest times in ministry is when I went to minister to someone who may have been in the last moments of their life and they ministered to me. You ever had that? Joy, first of all, we, like we think about it, it is a feeling. It's, it's emotions. We, we become very joyful. You know when a child is born? When we graduate from high school, when we're accepted into the master's program, when we get a promotion, when they say, hey, you're our new pastor. Churches, when they say, we got rid of our pastor. There wasn't enough laughing there. <laughs> it's a feeling. It's, it's, it's the emotion of, you know, a beautiful sunset, a, a big, fat, juicy steak that is just better than any steak you've ever eaten. It is uh, the greatest two scoops of ice cream. One joy is happiness. Two scoops is joy. It's a feeling. But then it's a frame of mind. It's understanding what joy is and where it comes from. Then it's a way of life. It's our character. You know, you don't get character when the situation arises. You bring your character to it. The situation just tells you what kind of character you've got. Young people, you don't become Christian once the trial starts. You were Christian when you went into it, or you weren't. Now, I say all that as we read now in Psalm 5. Remember now, David is getting older, and he's thinking, my son, he still loves him. We know that. He didn't want Absalom to be killed. Remember that? They wanted, he said, please, please, please don't kill him. Even though he had done what he had done. Yet he felt betrayed. He had friends that turned and went with Absalom rather than staying with him. It was bad. And so this is what he says. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto thee will I pray. My voice shall thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee. And we'll look up, what did he say? Weeping endureth for a night, but joy does what? Joy comes in the morning. My voice shall you hear in the morning. For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. Now I want you to understand something as we begin to look. There's three things I want us to look at. The foundation of joy, the dwelling place of joy, and walking, living in joy. First of all, I've had this quote in my phone for quite a while because it really convicted me secular, and I want you to take that happiness and I want you to think of the biblical happiness of joy, real joy. Beware of destination addiction. You know, are we almost there? Are we almost there? How much further? How much longer? When are we going to get there? What are we going to do? I can't wait till we get there. And then the night before you leave vacation, you're like, oh, I can't, oh, I got to go back. I got to. And you miss out on some very, very important, fun time. 
You see, a preoccupation with the idea that happiness is in the next place. It's with the next spouse. Well, I'll just divorce them. I'll get somebody else. I worked with a guy like that one time. He had been married and divorced about three or four times when I knew him, and we were in our late 20s, early 30s. And I rem I'll never forget. And he went to honky-tonk or something. He, he met, meets this girl. And he comes back to work the next week. He said, oh, man, I met her. I said, met who? He said, I met her. I said, who is her? He said, the one. She's the one. I said, the one what? I think it's the one I need to marry. I said, now let me get this straight. You've been married three times in eight years, and you just found another one that you believe is now the one. Yeah. Well, it wasn't long till he was married and fixing to get divorced. No, she's done this, she's done that. And I asked him one day, I said, can I ask you one thing? He said, yeah. I said, why'd you get divorced this time? Why'd you get divorced? And I went on, went on. She did this, she did it. I said, I want you to understand one thing with me. I don't want you to get mad at me. I care about you. You're my friend. All right, what, what is it? I said, there's only one thing in common with all of this. He said, what's that? I said, it's you. You are the common denominator. You can blame her on this, you can blame her on that, you can blame her on that. But the truth is you're looking for happiness in the next person, in the next job, in the next win. Everything is about tomorrow and you're missing today. And the very famous words of that deep thinking theologian, Willie Nelson. Yesterday is dead and gone and tomorrow never comes. Lord, help me make it through the night. You see, it's not in the next place, the next job, or the next partner. Until you give up the idea that happiness is somewhere else, give up that idea that happiness is somewhere else, it will never be where you are. I have watched in a lifetime of pastoring, almost 30 years as senior pastor, I've watched so many people come and go. And if you think it don't break a pastor's heart, I'm here to tell you it does. Especially when they leave you don't even have any idea. And one day they're great friends with you and they sit and they tell you, man, I love hard preaching. And then they're just gone. It breaks your heart. But the truth is they're looking for somebody to tickle their ears and make them happy instead of resting in the joy of the Lord. Now, first of all, I want you to notice the foundation of joy. He said in verse 1, give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation, the foundation of joy. And, and you say, you preach about this every message. I'm telling you, it really is this simple. We're not designing a self-driving electric car. We're not designing the latest SpaceX rocket ship. What we need to understand is God in his ultimate design made it so simple that we can understand. And for a believer, it starts, it's filled up, and it ends in this, prayer. Real 
prayer. We can talk about prayer every Sunday in every Sunday school class, and we'll never talk about it enough. Real prayer. What does real prayer look like? David was a man of prayer. We see him praying on the backside of the desert as he looks up at the stars, as he overlooks his sheep. We see him praying from the palace. We see him praying on the hills overlooking his father-in-law who is trying to kill him. We see him praying through every situation in his life. It was a prayer that was constant. He said, my meditation. Man, his heart was in tune with the Lord, he meditated. It means he wasn't just talking, he was listening. When's the last time you said, Dear Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, we want to thank you for the food, Lord, and we want to ask you to be with those who are sick, and preachers talked about this uh, uh, family, and we just pray for them today, and Lord, we pray for our country and for COVID and for our missionaries and all the laws, and all that's good. But when do we stop, leave the TV off, Keep our eyes closed without falling asleep and say, God, speak. God, speak. God, speak to me. Lord, what do I need? Where do I need to go? What do I need to do? Lord, show me who you are. It was a constant prayer of meditation. It was this this meditation of, of being absorbed into the heart of God, that his heart, his soul, his mind was in tune and open to what God wanted, and they conversed as we should before a father and a son. But the priority of praying. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm guilty of getting up in the morning, the first thing I do is I grab my cell phone and I look for whatever's popped up. What's my notification? I can't stand red button, red dots on my phone. I can't stand it. Can't stand it. I, I go OCD. I'll clean up other people's phone if they let me. It's just I can't stand it. But what I've tried to do is the first thing in the morning when I get up is I have a daily Bible reading. Not devotion, just Bible reading. I figure, and I love Oswald Chambers, and I like to read Oswald Chambers and you know, J.I. Packer went out, went to be with the Lord this week. Great man of God. We've lost some of the greatest heroes of our, our lives in the last few years. I mean, we lost Norman Geisler. We lost, uh, and when I say lost, we, don't, we didn't lose them. We know where they're at. Uh, we, John Phillips and J.I. Packer and... You know, the list goes on and on and on and on. And it will continue. What I have found is all those guys are great. The writings of the women that a lot of women use, uh, their, their blogs and vlogs and dogs and all the stuff that y'all are into on all that, all that's great as long as it's biblical. But the big thing is, if it is, then it started with the Bible. And so I, what I've tried to do is start my morning in looking and reading the Word of God. Because what it does is it draws my attention back to the throne. His priority, David's priority, he said, in the morning. What's that song? In the, in the morning when I do what? Give me a cup of coffee. I'm guilty of that. In the morning, give me my medicine. 
In the morning, give me something to eat. When I rise, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus first. Give me Jesus most. Give me Jesus. It's, he must be the priority. What did John say? I must decrease that he may increase. Not that John could somehow make Jesus better, but that people would stop paying attention to him and put their attention on the one who came to take away the sins of the world. Our priority, when we get up in the morning, when we go to school, when we go to work, or when we don't go anywhere until this thing's over, our priority remains Jesus. It's real easy to be distracted right now. You say, why? There's nothing to do. Exactly. We become bored out of our mind. And oftentimes, boredom is our worst enemy. Because then, we just concoct ways to mess up. You remember? If you don't remember what you did when you was a kid, look at your kids, and you still do. If you get bored, things happen. Listen, put Jesus as our priority in prayer. But then our perspective. Look what he said in verse 2 and 3. He called him, O Lord, or Master. He said, My voice shall cry unto thee, in verse 3. But he said, Hearken unto the voice of my cry. He addressed him as my King and my God. I like that. And he ended it by saying, And I will look up. Look up. You know, the problem is many of us can't look up because we have exalted ourselves above measure. The publican got as low as he could get. That word prostrate in the Bible, to literally fall on your face, spread out in humility with your nose in the dirt, showing God, I am nothing without you. Our perspective, keep it in mind. David understood something. David, I mean, listen, Jesus is referred to as the son of who? David. And there's that scripture that, that blew all of their minds where he said, my Lord shall say unto my Lord, you know, you shall sit on my footstool. The whole deal is Jesus came through the lineage of David, but the real king was Jesus. And David, though he had not met him personally, understood, I may be the king of Israel, but he's the king of kings. You may be the king of your domain. You may be the walking boss where you are and how you work and where you live and on your ball team. But there will never be but one king of kings. He said, my God, the God. He said, I will look at It's in our perspective. Where have we placed God? Have we placed him about 70% up because he said, I'm a jealous God. Either I'm at the top or I'm not at all. And then it's a prepared prayer. He said in verse 4, and I want you to really get this, because we're living in one of the most carnal times of the church where we have adulterated the Word of God, we have ignored the Word of God, we have tried to make it fit what we want to live based on what culture says, oh, they didn't understand what it was going to be like today. How derogatory to an all-knowing, all-understanding, ever-present God. The scripture wasn't written 2,000 years ago alone. 
It started being written four or 5,000 years ago. It applied when Jesus came. He quoted Isaiah. He quoted all throughout Scripture. He quoted, quoted the psalmist. And we can quote it today, and it's just as real. Amen. And yet we live in a carnal world, but David said, For you are not a God that has pleasure in wickedness. Neither shall evil dwell with you. In other words, he said, I got to get myself right if I'm going to come before your throne. I can't just come to you. Oh, I'll just pray. I'm going to tell you something. Just because somebody dies doesn't mean they're going to heaven. And just because they were a good moral person or they did a lot of good or they fought for civil rights does not mean they're going to be in glory. It doesn't mean they're not, but it doesn't mean they are. We got to look at it all. You know, it's, it's funny. When somebody dies, we say, we don't want to talk, talk ill about the dead. Listen, sinners are sinners, alive or dead. And you may do everything in March and every kind of civil rights thing, but vote consistently for 40 years for abortion? I'm tired of this hypocritical talk out of both sides of your mouth religion. Either stand with God or don't. That's the way it is. This election is going to depend on Christians who are consistent and will open their eyes to reality. And I'm not talking about getting woke. I'm talking about being awake. I'm not talking about being a social justice warder. I'm talking about being a soldier of the cross. Separated from wickedness. That's the foundation of joy. But then the dwelling place of joy. Where is the dwelling place of joy? We're always, when we go on vacation... We'd always get excited. Becky would look and pick out somewhere for us to stay. And we'd always be excited to see. Because a lot of times it'd be something different, you know. And we'd pull up. The kids would be excited. And they couldn't, they wanted to go into the condo or whatever first. And look at all the rooms. Look at all the restrooms. And all I was wondering, worried about is the view. I, where was I going to drink my coffee and look out at the beach or whatever. And so I'd go to the balcony. But it was always fun to go and look at where we were going to be staying. We'd go to camp, you know, we'd go and we'd try to find the rooms and you get my age, it wasn't fun. But it's that dwelling place of joy, understanding, look with me, if you will, in verse 5. For in death there is no remembrance. No, that's chapter 6. Chapter 5. The foolish shall not stand in your sight, for you hate all workers of iniquity. Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. The Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. But as for me, now there was someone else who used that phrase right there, who used it. But as for me, Joshua, he said, choose you this day whom you will serve. Either you'll serve the gods of the Ammonites and the Jebusites, you'll serve the gods on this side, or you'll serve the one true God. But let me tell you something. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
He said, as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of mine enemies. Make your way straight before my face. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongue. Does that sound familiar? Destroy thou them, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions. For they have rebelled against thee. I'm going to tell you something. David understood what he was writing because he had already lived and written Psalm 51. Do you know what Psalm 51 is? It is called the, now there are many, but it is called the penitential psalm. It is recorded kind of mythologically that in the old English days that when someone was brought to the gallows, that if they humbled themselves and began to quote Psalm 51, that their death sentence would be commuted. You see, it is in Psalm 51 that David wakes up to the absolute brokenness of his life. There was no joy. There was no happiness. Everything around him that God had blessed him with had crumbled. And no longer did the palace mean anything. No longer did the family seem to resemble anything. Because you see, when kings went to war, he had become lazy. He had sat on that palace. He had sat on the top. And he had cast his wanting, covetous eyes at a woman named Bathsheba. He had had an affair and to cover it. I mean, this stuff straight out of forensic files, straight off of law and order. Really. He has an affair. Bathsheba is pregnant, and so David has her husband killed. That's not a fairy tale. When you want to get all judgmental with somebody else, I want you to remember that this man was a man after God's own heart. But you know what he said in this Psalm 51? He said, Oh God, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I wrote this down. You see, joy is not just the destination. Joy is found all along the journey, understanding what the destination is. But somewhere along the way, David got his eyes off the prize, put his eyes on things. He put his eyes on people and places and plots. But you see, the dwelling place is understanding everything's not joyous. Everything is not God's joy. There's a lot of people living it up. Right? A lot of people living it up. If you've ever, if you're a person like me who enjoys the old documentaries and what happened to this and this and this, you know, I'll sit and watch the documentary on the day the rock star died. What happened to Jimi Hendrix? What happened to Janis Joplin? What happened to this one and that one? And at the top of their game, you run out of gas over Mississippi? 
when you don't even live long enough to realize you just released the greatest album you've ever recorded? You are the heir apparent of NASCAR, and you don't, you don't die on the track. You die in a, hel a freak helicopter crash in the infield. Listen, we have understand that temporary things are not where joy is found. He said right here very clearly, it's not found in people. He said people are evil. People are broken. They're deceitful and bloody. He said, but I will worship in your holy temple. You see, David understood his own son had turned against him. Ahithophel had turned against him and betrayed him. His inner court had went with Absalom and not stayed with him. Very few stayed with him. If you don't know who your friends are, do something that's work-related, cause you to get dirty, and there's no food involved. You'll see who your friends are. When things get tough, I mean, this whole idea of Facebook, friends, they're not friends, they're acquaintances or somebody who wants to know what's going on in your life. Do you understand that? And do you understand you can, listen to me now, you can erase it, you can take down the tweets and stuff, it don't go away. The internet's like a forensic electronic DNA. And some of you don't realize it may wreck your career one day. There are people today under the cancel culture who are being fired for something they said as a teenager. They are losing multi-million dollar CEO jobs because of something dumb they did in a fraternity or sorority in college. It is a lesson to walk consistent with our faith, understanding people are not where you're going to find your joy. Oh, but mama, I love him. We love puppies and then they grow up. Friends, family. I've been out of high school 38 years. I know, that's a long time. I was going to ask Bruce, but I don't know that he went to high school. So, uh, The older you get, number one, you only, you only have any communication with people you knew back then when you read an obituary. I have one friend from school. One. Inner circle. My inner circle is real tight. One friend. But he is my lifelong friend. And I hope he considers, and I believe he does, the same. Because you see, along the way, my best friends left. Many, and I didn't understand it when God called me to preach. I was so excited of how God would change my life. I just figured they'd want what I had. I was so full of joy. And I went and told them, and they looked at a mule eating briars. I mean, it was like, what? What are you talking about? I don't make any sense. Man, we out here ripping up roads and drinking and chasing girls and boys and going to drive in and all. Man, what, what's wrong with you? He got religion. I was told, oh, it won't last. 
I'm going to tell you something. It lasted. Because it wasn't just religion. It was the Lord. And it was that my joy was found in one. In Jesus. It's not in places. The earthly palaces. We can build houses. Becky and I have built two personal homes. Right? Two. Couldn't remember. I never thought growing up in one home until I got married. And now we've lived in Hiram and Douglasville and Alabama and Claxton. I didn't even know where Claxton was 10, 12 years ago. And we've lived in three houses since we lived here. And we've often said, man, if we could have just picked our house up, we love it, this is home. If we could have picked our house up from there and brought it here. We designed it the way we wanted it. Becky picked it out, and I fixed it the way I wanted it. We enlarged rooms. We made doors wider. We fixed bonus rooms. There was not a wasted spot in that house. I built it where it was completely, utterly maintenance-free. It had the Trex decks, PVC handrails. It had uh, rock siding uh, on the front. It had... Uh, Vinyl siding on, on some sides. I mean, listen, it was done where we could come and go and not worry about anything else. Two and a half, three years later, we left it. Because Solomon said, you build it, somebody else will live in it. Because places were never meant to be where you find joy. And then the plots. I'll tell you, whatever cause you've jumped on, if you're buying into any of this stuff, I'm going to tell you, it will change. It's like news cycles. It's like shoes. It's like ties. When I started preaching, we wore square bottom. I was looking for my tie. I'm like, where's my tie? And I forgot. I'm wearing a bow tie. Golly, I, they ain't no way I wore a bow tie 30 years ago. Wore them when I was a little boy. They're clip on. But when I started preaching... Any of you ever wore a knit tie? Nobody ever wore a knit tie? They were square on the bottom. They were like knit. Ferris wore one. Now I really feel embarrassed that I wore one, Ferris. But we had knit ties, and we'd have corduroy jackets. And you'd have little, you know, the little patches. Look like you was a, a STEM professor. Ought to be smoking a pipe or something. Y'all remember the gaudy sweaters? The Cosby sweaters, you remember those sweaters? Look at, Derek, some of you golfers, look at the way golfers dressed in the late 80s, early 90s. And every once in a while, we get out pictures right after Emily was born, she said, you wore that in public? <laughs> Things change, don't they? Plots, worldly kingdoms rise and fall, agendas, causes. Our dwelling place is not in the American government. It's not in the United States. It's not in the current culture. Our dwelling place of joy is in the Lord. Now let me finish. Verse 11 and 12. Walking in joy. I'll be real quick. Walking in joy. Let all those that put their trust in you rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy. Listen, those that trust in him will, number one, rejoice. 
It's an inward experience. It's an inward experience. We will rejoice in the morning when I rise. When it's my time to die. When I'm going through trials. Listen, in, in Acts chapter 5, listen to this. In Acts 5.41, the apostles were beaten for preaching Jesus. But this is what they said. They filed a complaint with the Justice Department for religious liberty. They went to their local representative. No! They didn't throw a fit. They didn't protest. It said they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. Those that trust will rejoice. It's that inward experience, but they'll shout for joy. Do you remember what the old men and the young men did when they laid the foundation of the temple with Ezra? The old men wept and the young men shouted. They're like, what in the world's going on over there? Do you remember how the walls of Jericho fell? Now, of course, God did it, but was there any dynamite involved? Any C4? Any ramming devices? All there was was trumpets. Listen, it was the shout of joy that God is the Lord. Listen, those that trust will walk in joy. Those that are safe, they're safe. He tells us right here. Because you defend us. You defend them. We're defended. Think about that. When we go, now, if you start some ridiculous line because you think that everyone else's opinion on some social media platform should be rejected except yours. Remember what I said last week? I've come to the understanding that the only person that really cares about my opinion is me, and I've learned not to care about it that much. But it is amazing how many people just, they, they think the world's waiting on them to give their opinion, then everything will be all right. I'm going to tell you something. If we stand for what is right, study to be quiet, speak when the Spirit says speak, the Lord will defend us. And then in closing, those that love. He said, for thou, Lord, will bless the righteous with favor will thou compass us or compass him as with a shield. Why? He said, let them also that love your name be joyful in thee. I want to ask you, do you love the Lord? He said, those that love will be blessed. Those that love him will be favored. And those that love him will be guarded. This word for shield in this verse is not a regular shield like Iron Man or like Captain America has. It wasn't one of those gladiator. This literally was a kind of shield that those who were at the very front would carry. It was literally what was called a buckler. It was literally life size. It was the size where it took both hands. They couldn't even take a weapon. It was just there to guard. He said, I will put a body size shield in front of you that will guard your head, guard your heart, guard your mind, guard your family, guard your lives. If you place your faith, hope, and trust in me, listen. As Philip comes with a song right now. Joy. Joy. There's joy, 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 joy. Down in my heart. Down my heart to what? 
Can you sing it and mean it? Because David couldn't, and he said, Lord, restore unto me the joy. Maybe you've lost your joy. Maybe you put your eyes on, on pandemics. Maybe you put your eyes on politics. Maybe you put your eyes on palaces and people and plots. Maybe whatever it is has stolen your joy. You've forsaken your joy, and you need a glimpse of joy. You need to get back to where God wants you to be. I'm going to tell you, this will revolutionize the world. That you'll find joy in all circumstances. That you'll be able to share the love of Christ. Because no matter what, God lives within you. And the joy is in the journey knowing the destination. If you don't know the Lord, you've never been saved, come to this altar and pray, God, forgive me. Lord, give me joy. If you're saved and you have forsaken that way, you've turned your back on Him, come. Lord, restore unto me the joy. Whatever you need to do, as we stand right now, will you come to the Lord? Come. Come. Say, Lord, I need your joy. I need your joy. Come.